Hello, I'm Professor Randall Peterson, and you're listening to the podcast, Is Your Business a 20-Year Overnight Success Story? This is part of our leadership series in which we'll be exploring the big issues facing leaders today and asking what it takes to stand out from the crowd and leave a real impact on the way the world does business. At London Business School, we believe that being a great leader is about executing your vision, not being a version of someone else. Join us as we hear from leaders who dared to break the mold. You can see more of our leadership insights or browse our portfolio of leadership programs by visiting london.edu slash LBS hyphen leadership. Today's guest is Claire Velotti, Vice President for the EMEA region of Snap. That's the company that owns and operates Snapchat. She's one of the most senior women in the company. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the insights into what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. Insights Claire has gained from both her Positive Disruptor video series, which offers inspiring tips to those who are growing their own businesses through conversations with founders and CEOs. Claire, welcome to our series. We're delighted to have you as a guest. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Excellent. So despite this being an incredibly challenging time, the last year has served to highlight the importance of innovative thinking to power growth, create businesses that can really thrive in the pandemic and post-pandemic. So from her conversations with these leaders and her own experience working at Snap, which is, of course, an inherently disruptive platform in itself, constantly pushing the boundaries of what's possible through premium content, augmented reality, and visual communication, Claire's gathered a number of really, I think, interesting and key insights into positive disruption and leadership which we're going to be exploring through five key learnings that Claire has discovered. So Claire, if you could give us an overview of your positive disruption series and how you came about these insights, that would be great. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there's no doubt when the pandemic really hit and struck, you know, everyone's businesses, there was an awful lot of um, thought leadership content that was starting to kind of get out there. And what I started to observe, though, was that some of it was a little bit doom and gloom. It was, you know, how are you coping, how you're adapting. And of course, all of that is incredibly important for other leaders to learn from. However, what I felt and actually something I think we have to get better at, particularly in this country, is Actually, how can we think about what obviously the pandemic was, which was horrendous and it's been horrendous and it's been incredibly disruptive, but there can be positive things that come from disruption. And I felt it was really important to create content that was really going to give other leaders a little bit of dose of optimism, how they could learn from other leaders that were really in either sectors or businesses that were fundamentally disrupting. And that was with or without the pandemic. So what we created was the concept of positive disruption, you know, positive disruptor series, because I felt strongly that we needed to change that sort of relationship we have with the term disruption. And what I wanted to do was really speak to founders and leaders that were fundamentally transforming their sectors for the better. There is definitely some common traits you can see from these leaders and founders that have allowed them to continue to go on to have a lot of success. And I did feel like we were in a good place at Snap to be in a position to sort of coin the term. Because like you said, you know, Snap fundamentally was a positive disruptor. We were really set up to be an antidote to social media. You know, the way we created our content business, or even today when you look at what we're doing around augmented reality, is fundamentally positive 
positively disrupting how people are interacting with the world around them. And I think it's a really exciting position to be in. But with that, I think you have a responsibility to share those learnings. And that, to, to me, was what the series was about. It was thought leadership that really provided learnings that people could really embrace in their own business to move their business or accelerate their business further, as opposed to constantly thinking, oh, what do I need to fix? It, it was coming from a place of positivity. I am so glad you make that point. I mean, if people take nothing else away from this podcast, I fell into that exact same trap earlier in the pandemic where I was talking about all like how to essentially save yourself from doom and gloom. And it was actually a business leader and friend of mine who took me aside and said, actually, my business is doing really well in the pandemic. We were ready for it. And it's given us all kinds of opportunity. So don't assume that disruption is a bad thing. It can be a really great thing for your business. I feel so passionate about this point. I also felt that it was important to have humility because, you know, I have parents who have a hotel and they were fundamentally disrupted during the pandemic, in, in obviously in a very negative way. So I felt the series did also need to give some tips or, or things people could take, whatever state your business was in, that you could really take and learn from it. And it was also important that the series wasn't just about the virus. It wasn't about the pandemic. It wasn't because the pandemic, these businesses have succeeded. These businesses were succeeding anyway. But what made them distinctive was they were set up to, to really be more future-proof so they could adapt to be more agile to adapting to things that were happening to them. Absolutely, yes. I think this is a great lesson for people to take away from, from this is that, that there are always opportunities and disruption can be a great thing, is an opportunity in itself, no matter where you are. So why don't we go ahead and start talking about some of these key lessons, because I want to make sure we've got time for all of them. They're really, I think, important lessons for every business leader. The first one was really taking a values-based approach to business, something that people have been talking about for a while, but also something that I think still remains underappreciated. You know, whether you intentionally set out to disrupt a sector or it happens as a byproduct of doing what you think is the right thing, you know, it's clear that having a positive impact and changes things for the better. Business needs need to have a clear set of values that are properly embedded in a company's culture and way of working. Why don't you elaborate a bit more for us? I think we've seen this happen really over the past few years more than ever. And I think it is also a reflection of the sort of the future generations of what they expect businesses to have. And what I mean by when I say value-based, it's, you know, as a company, either internally and externally, I wouldn't say either, actually, it's an and, that either your customer base or your employees really understand what you stand for and you live and you really, really live by them and you really practice what you preach. And I think there'll be no room for error there. I'm very privileged. I work in a business that has some strong values and I'll touch on that. So I see the value of it. I see it played out day to day in, in how we operate. But if you take someone like Ben Francis, he was my first interview and obviously he was the founder of Gymshop and he's now the CEO. And um, he talked about actually, which really, just, I just remember it like yesterday because it really struck a nerve with me where he basically said that, you know, he could have grown his businesses even faster if he had chosen to. But it was more important to him to hold on to his values and do it in the right way. And I think that really serves you well for the future of any business. Or you've got someone like uh, Sharon Tutor, who founded a completely different business. Uh, she's founded a beauty brand called Omar. Her business is all about serving all types of individuals. 
And she talked a lot about that. She even talks about her customers being her tribe and that just language she uses and how important values. And I, you know, the question I asked a lot of them was, as your business scales, how do you make sure you maintain those values? And it was very clear, particularly with Sharon, that, you know, it's a non-negotiable. You don't hire people you don't believe will live these values and the business has to operate. It's not just living them, it's operating in that way. And then another view, which was a very different perspective, which I really do align with, is Alex Marhone, who's the CEO of Channel 4. And, I, and I, I refer to her a lot as being a very modern leader. And I think we'll see more leaders like Alex. And what I mean by that, she talked a lot about what is the environment that she needs to thrive in and talked a lot about being in a company where you could really bring yourself to work. And I think we're hearing these terms more and more than ever in authentic self. And I think COVID has definitely accelerated the value of that, given we have got these blended worlds of, of home and work. I call it being physically and like it being in a blender, that there is no separation. And for her, she talked a lot about that. And that's something that I have always found very, very important. But if I take another example of kind of a more personal one being at Snap, that, you know, we have values that if you asked anyone in the company that we talk about being creative, smart and kind. But what's important is everyone understands what that actually means. And then when we have things like our performance reviews, that's all incorporated in how we evaluate our people in terms of those behaviours to live and demonstrate those values. And then, of course, how you build your product, you have to stay true to those values. So for us, it was always being, you know, human-centric design. We always think about privacy first. You know, all of those things that may, some companies may think, oh, no, that might slow me down. I'd rather take a shortcut. But I think the world we're in today, there is no room for shortcuts. And, and having a value-based approach is really important. And I think, like I said, you'll see this next generation, not just as customers, but also as employees. When they interview, they are looking to work for companies that have strong values. And I think that's going to become more and more apparent as time goes on. So I would highly say recommend not just based on what I heard in, in my Positive Disruptor series, but generally what I see around me and more we understand this next generation. Value-based businesses are going to be, as I use my phrase, a non-negotiable if you're going to succeed. Yeah, wow, lots in there. And I mean, the point that really resonated for me was this notion of it's a shortcut to focus on performance, you know, anything to get there, regardless of our values, that has a long term payback. I mean, if you try to deliver results without, you know, outside of your values, it's such a short term strategy that does long term damage to your business. And it's, again, it's easy to fall into that. If you're working just for today and not really thinking about the longer term of your business yeah. and, and where it's going to go and what it really stands for. And I think people will evaluate leaders in that way. It will be, you know, I think years ago, leaders would go into high profile leadership roles and maybe, you know, three or four years show that the value they or the performance value, you know, what they added to that business in more kind of monetary terms. I think people will look back at their legacy to say, you know, what did I fundamentally do for those employees? How did I accelerate that business in a whole different way, a whole new meaning? And I think it's interesting, interesting times, but really important things for leaders in particular to think about what are the values that they want to create in their organization yeah absolutely and i think your other point there about this being something that the younger generations are really paying attention to now in ways that those of us who are a little bit older uh, <laughs> you know it wasn't a big part of where we were coming from so it's not only good for the business it's also the people you're you are as you say leading and employing in the future 
So, fantastic. Perhaps let's move on to the second one here, which is the role of resilience in becoming a successful entrepreneur. And I, again, this one just really hit home for me. You know, COVID-19 has forced us all to learn a lot about our own levels of resilience, as well as how we can make the best out of sometimes difficult situations. So to be successful, positive disruptor in any industry, leaders need to have the kind of self-belief in their business ideas. Can you expand on that a little bit more for us, please? Yeah, I think I should acknowledge first, and you touched on it, that I think it's there's no, no doubt we've all had to be resilient, particularly in the last 18 months. So I think resilience is part of, of life. But I do think when you speak to particularly the, the, the entrepreneurs, the founders of the, of the companies I spoke to, um, and if I take, I, I mean, I love the example because I've been following their business for a long time, Tim Steiner, the founder of Ocado. He even refers to the business as a 20-year overnight success story. And I think that sums it up. I remember literally, probably was 20 years ago, studying and looking at the online grocer market and thinking, wow, is this ever going to take off? So I can't even imagine, you know, leading and building a business in that sector and, and people just being cynical about it. And when you listen to Tim, his just strength and self-belief and actually, obviously, they're not a grocery business, they're a technology business and they're doing so much more than just grocery. It's extraordinary what they're doing. And the resilience he must have. I mean, it comes through when you talk to him to be able to just keep going and have, you know, people laugh at your business ideas and not take you seriously. Yet, you know, you have enough resilience and self-belief to, to keep going. And and the other person that I think you can't not talk about resilience without mentioning her, which is Anne Bowden, who's obviously the founder of Starling Bank. And I mean, if you read her book, um, she's obviously written a couple, but you just hear the journey of how, you know, she went to try and get funding investment and how hard that was for her on a number of different levels and for a number of different reasons. And I, I actually asked her in the interview, you know, how do you keep going? Like all those knockbacks. And it was just interesting, you know, it was very sort of simple what she said, which is, you know, you start every day again. And, and I think we tend to read about these successful leaders, founders, and it all sounds great. And you think, oh, I want to be like that. But we forget. And I think it is the how, which is so critical, all the learnings are, the resilience they've had to get there. I mean, there, of course, there are leaders and founders that have success that doesn't take so long. But fundamentally, resilience is part of the job. And, and I would also add, I was interviewing them around their professional life, their professional you know, leadership roles. But just think about you then you, you enter in a personal life. The resilience you've got to have to keep going and manage your personal and what you're trying to build it is quite extraordinary. And and I, I do love the example. Again, I always like to bring it back to the, to the experience I'm in at Snap. The best example I can think of is if you remember, if you follow the Snap story, a few years ago, we had a redesign that was um, had a lot of coverage, to say the least, where we were separating content from your friends' stories with professionally produced content. And at the time, there was a lot of people questioning that strategy. And, and we stay true to our values, and it, it took a lot of resilience. And the reason why I mention that, because it just shows some of these learnings are so interconnected, you can't stay true to your values and not be resilient because things will always be questioned and it's easy to pivot from your values, but we didn't. And and the reason why I mention it is because now you see it being played out across the sector where a lot of people are questioning this sort of world of, you know, uh, misinformation, all those challenges going on on other platforms. And I think that was an example of what the resilience it took for us to stay true to our values and a great example for me to anyone to show values do win in the end. 
Excellent points. And, you know, the, the point in this that really resonated for me as you were talking there is the Okado one, that 20 year success story. <laughs> I mean, we think of these things as just like appearing overnight, but 100%. it's not the way it works. You know, most things require long term persistence. And then there is a breakthrough sometime on, you know, later. And I, rem I do remember the first Okado van I ever saw delivering in my neighborhood <laughs> and thinking, why would somebody want to do that? And of course, now I, I look back on that and think, wow, I was, yeah, not getting it. And that's why that resilience is so important for it to be clear. And of course, it's really come into its own now in the pandemic, because of course, can you imagine how much worse it all would have been if everybody was in the grocery store all the time? A hundred percent. But I think what's great about the people we interviewed was they were having success prior to the pandemic. And I think it just showed them having that big picture, that resilience to keep going and believing that behaviours were going to change. Of course, pandemic accelerated that, but they were having success. And I think that tells me a lot about to be successful when things like a pandemic strikes your business, that ability to have a business that really is agile and is sort of thinking for the future is going to set you up for more success. Yeah, excellent point. And I, I you know, completely agree. It was you know, it isn't about the pandemic making it happen. It's about being able to be flexible and resilient and staying true to your values are all important yeah. parts of that business success when something like that happens. And if something else will happen next, right? We've had two back-to-back -back events that are supposed to be once in a century with the pandemic and the financial crash. We seem to be in a period where this is, just keeps happening. So businesses need to be ready and entrepreneurs need to be ready for this. Yeah, for, for sure. Because I, I think there's always going to be macro conditions that you can choose to control you or you choose to sort of navigate and take control of. And I think resilience is, is part, like you have to be resilient to be able to do that. Yeah, great point. So let's move on to our third point, which for me, I cannot say strongly enough, I think is just absolutely critical. And that is the importance of embracing failure. As a society, we're conditioned to fear failure, but leaders need to be, you know, it's a part of success. And in fact, if failure is an opportunity to get it right next time, and it's so easy to go in on yourself rather than have a growth mindset and think about the opportunity that that negative feedback or that failure creates. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you heard from your business leaders? I feel like I first have to sort of own up to something and acknowledge. I think I value the school of thought of, you know, embracing failure. And I think it's critical. You can't succeed without it. But I struggle with it. I think if you are a highly competitive person, which I think most leaders are, it's a hard thing to embrace. And I think that's okay to admit that. That's what makes you on the whole most people successful because they fear it. So when you listen to some of the leaders and how they spoke about it, and I really encourage you to particularly to listen to Jose Neves, who's the founder of Farfetch, because I think he really talked about it quite a lot and talked very much about you're going to have more downs than ups, but it's kind of with those mistakes and pitfalls you learn along the way and actually in the end makes your business more successful. And I think that there is an element to how you react, how quickly you adapt and learn from that failure. And I think he's an extraordinary example of someone that has really evolved his business, really reacted to what goes on around him and has, you know, 
I always say to people when I interview them for leadership roles, you know, leave your ego at the door because everyone has some inner ego and it takes a lot to embrace failure if you're sort of putting the ego at the forefront and listening to someone like Jose, it's just extraordinary. Like there's no ego. It really is genuinely learning from, from failure and embracing it. And the other person I thought that struck me in a lot of, in my interviews was Toby Derbyshire, who's built an extraordinary business called High Studios. And for me, it was more about, it wasn't that he was talking about embracing failure in his business. It was more about that he was more the bravery around like starting a business in a sector he knew nothing about and that was okay. And and he was going to fail bits because he didn't know things and he knew he didn't know aspects of that industry. And it was a very relaxed mindset. But I have to say, it's not an easy thing to do in practice. And that's why I really admire these leaders and founders that I spoke with because they've all had failures and they've all learned from it, but really reacted very quickly. But I think that's what it takes to have a successful business and they are the proof points of it. But yeah, I always think it's important to acknowledge, easier said than done, but vital to be successful as a leader. Again, excellent point. You know, as you say, it's so, it's hard to do it, even if you know it's the right thing to respond in a constructive way or in a positive way to any failure that you encounter. So with that, let's go on to our fourth one here. There is no one size fits all approach to leadership. Again, something when I teach leadership, I also make this point to people. People are oftentimes looking for the box to tick, the thing to emulate, but the most successful leaders are the ones who challenge the traditional stereotypes of what it means to be a leader, to be an entrepreneur. And to not pay attention to some of the critics sometimes, particularly early on. And sometimes you have to be a bit of a mold breaker, both in terms of the disruption that the business causes, but also maybe about the way you lead. So Claire, if you could add some more flavor and texture to this, I think it's, again, really interesting point. I wish I'd added to this learning sort of bravery, because that's the first thing I would say. You have to be brave to accept it's okay to be a different type of leader. Because actually, I think particularly when I was entering the industry, which was a very long time ago, so I won't say how many years, but there was definitely a notion of, to your point, a sort of tick box exercise where you would say, this is what you would imagine a typical leader would be and act like. And I remember early on, even in my career, someone said to me, oh, maybe you want to tone this bit down. And because I've always been like, for me personally, I always prided myself on being, I hate to use the word authentic, but just like, just me, like I am who I am. And I am a very direct person. I will often speak my mind and hopefully in a constructive manner, in a positive manner. But, you know, I, I also am very open. You know, I talk about my family a lot. I bring myself to work as a leader and as a colleague. And I think it takes bravery to be the one that breaks that mold to your point. Like it's easy to be the textbook leader. But I think the leaders we see today and we will continue to see in the future are those that do break the mold. And I think leadership and the expectation on leaders has become become greater and people expect you to be you. And that's really important. But when I think about the people I spoke with and the ones that stood out here in this learning, and actually Anne Bowden, I actually think of bravery. I mean, she, she talks very openly. It's not me saying this, but you know, as a woman in her 50s, starting out building a new bank, I mean, if that's not brave and that's sort of breaking the mould of expectations, I don't know what else is. And and she's just so comfortable 
role modeling that and talking about that i think she is just such an inspiration for all future leaders coming through another extreme would be charlie cohen I mean, she set up her first business at the age of 16 years old i mean it's not about age but it's extraordinary to have bravery and and just go out and if you, if you speak to Charlie, she's just so humble and extraordinary to hear what else she does beyond her own business. Her as a leader is really thinking about changing the world. It's not about building a business. And I think we're going to see, going back to what I've said already, resilience, values, like she encompasses all of those aspects. And then, of course, I've also talked about Sharon already from Oma Beauty. And fundamentally, you know, she created her business because she felt that she was being left out of the traditional beauty industry. And she's really created something so different. And as a leader, when you speak to her, like I said, she talks about her customers as a tribe. And and I just think these are all different types of leaders They're doing it their way. And their way is proving to be incredibly successful because I think customers, like I said, and employees and colleagues, they want to work for real people. And I think that's really important. And I think the pandemic actually has accelerated that further. I think about even us in our company, you know, understanding, and I've always prided myself on doing this, not because I have to, because I want to. I actually am interested in the people I work with, but knowing about people's personal circumstances, you know, knowing the names of people's children or their pets or what their hobbies are. I think that is just expected and you should because you should care about the people that work with you and for you. And I think that's really important in the type of leaders. And actually, the other aspect which I think is interesting that came through is, and I think they all acknowledge that, no one's looking for perfect leaders anymore. Like to say, you know, they obviously all on my learnings are connected. Like people forgive failure. If you are a really honest leader that is open and admits your failures, people will accept that and, and come on the journey with you. But it, it's that transparency and taking people with you that I think is incredibly important. Excellent point. And I'm so glad you added bravery in because I, when I teach leadership, I don't use the word bravery. I talk about courage, yeah. but it's exactly the same point, yeah. which is that importance of being able to be you and to actually own it. And people think about this almost in a trivial way sometimes. But it's, you know, if you have a very clear set of values, there's things about you that you believe in, you need to live them. And people are sometimes scared. You know, I'm a, an advocate for gender equality and I'm going to really live that and I'm going to make that clear. And they think, oh, but not right now because I'm, I'm up against somebody who's, you know, in a senior position who, who isn't that. And I and think, well, okay, but if you actually, you have to have courage to make that point. And okay, there might be a window that closes, but there'll always be others that open. If you really are that leader, that entrepreneur who knows exactly what they are, who they are, and what they're trying to do. Exactly. To really understand this one, I think it's so important to understand that dynamic of you can't hold yourself back and overconform in an organization, if you want to be successful, you you do need to stand out sometimes and stand out in ways that can be a bit uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, 100%. I, I think people have to believe in you as that leader. And to have belief, they have to be connected to you. I think I've done a lot of research and I'm fascinated kind of looking at leadership as a whole sector. And, and years ago, I think, it was okay that leaders could sort of command and control for it to a degree. You know, you'd, you would tell people, this is my strategy, this is what we're doing. And, you know, there was a culture of teams following that. 
And I think now there's just such a different culture. It's turned on its head where people will ask you, why are you doing that? And it's that why and the how becomes more bigger part of the conversation that you are expected to explain if you want people to, and I use this phrase all the time, to go on your journey. They're not just going to do it. They have to believe in why they're doing it. And then actually you can actually build incredible things as a company, but you have to spend time to get people to understand that the thinking, not just the sort of telling that that no longer is going to work. Absolutely. If you want to truly engage people, you have to lead in this way. You know, and and when you do, the outcomes are incredible. So of course, the very best organizations are going to do this. And you know, you could choose not to and 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 hold on to that old way, but you're never going to be world class if you do. You won't retain your best talent. I can say that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and the evidence. There's really strong evidence. This isn't just a feeling. There's a lot of research on this, and it's a very strong effect. It's a very powerful idea. Fantastic. Thank you for that one. All of these are great. Really enjoying this. Thanks, Claire. So the last one is really, I think we've been alluding to it, but let's talk directly about it. And that is this idea of future-proofing your business. You know, entrepreneurship is not just about creating a successful business like today. You know, it's about transforming a sector, ensuring that you future-proofed it, and that you're constantly innovating in an environment that's constantly changing. So even if you are an entrepreneur, it's that you're still dealing in the, in the realm of making things better, more supportive, more inclusive, and change. So again, Claire, if you could elaborate a bit more on this one, I think that'd be great. Yeah, I'm cross with myself that actually now in reflection, I called it future-proofing your business because it sounds like, you mean, that that is absolutely the outcome, right? And that's really, really important. But the reason why the people, the founders I spoke to, the leaders I spoke to, are doing it. They're not doing it to future-proof their business only. They're doing it because they're in sectors that are fundamentally changing and they want to be at the forefront of that. And that they are, in some ways, helping the overall sectors to grow. So they're not just thinking about their role in their company. How do I grow my bit? They're thinking about the wider industry. And I think this is why these businesses have been so successful. But they are all constantly thinking about what's next in in that future and being really brave with the bets they're making. So, you know, from listening to Tim Ocado talking about some of the R&D work he's doing is actually groundbreaking. It's extraordinary. Jose, what he's doing around kind of physical and digital retail, he's not just thinking about, I've got a platform, which fundamentally is an extraordinary platform underpinning tons of different retail experiences. But actually, he's thinking about how to fundamentally be part of this new world of the retail experience. And then you go on to Jonathan Seaton, who I am obsessed by his business because I've got three young children, Twinkle, which is an edtech platform, where he was, you know, now thinking about AR and how AR is going to kind of, you know, be involved in it and, and complement the education sector. And then, of course, there's Charlie. I mean, Charlie's work that she's done. So, of course, she's got an incredible fashion business, but she's also built a platform called Shades of Blue, which is really about helping and supporting mental health within the wider creators industry. So you can see all my examples. They're all really different, but they all ladder up to a similar thing. Yes, it is future-proofing their business. They're all making bets of of where the industry, where the world is going, where the consumer behaviour is going. But they're also playing a part in their wider industry that feels like more than just thinking about how they can drive more profitability in their own world. They're all, of course, interlinked, but I think that's incredibly powerful. And I just look at our own business. We are absolutely building kind of what 
the future of continues to be the future of AR and being at the forefront of that. And we created a program called the Lens Creator Program, which really allows, you know, independent designers and artists all around the world from whatever backgrounds to be able to design in their kind of uh, and create their own AR features. So not just thinking about our own platform, but the wider ecosystem and how you can help that thrive further and give other people opportunity to be part of it. And of course, that ladders up to help it proof future proofing your business. But that how feels very different to what it would have looked like for a business years ago. I think actually giving more people access to what you're doing is actually how you future-proof your business. And I suppose it's a great learning to end on because you can see how you can't really do this without having all the other learnings and operating in in that way, you know, the values. You need to be resilient to, to do things like this and brave. And I think this just shows, I mean, every single person I interviewed from all different sectors were all doing some shape or form of kind of future-proofing their business, which is extraordinary given the successes they are having. And it would be easy just to carry on with status quo and not one of them are thinking like that. And I think we can learn from that to think about how you grow a business uh, now and in the future. Yeah, I love the way you talked about that. And I think this one has that quality of this is a direct response to the world we live in right now. We used to talk about change as a, everything's going okay. We need to make a step change in order to address something that's happened out there in the world. And these days, change is constant. And you talked about industries that are in constant change. But to be honest, I'm hard pressed to think of an industry that isn't in constant change these days. Yeah. It's, you know, the world is going faster and faster. Change is a kind of, ongoing process. You have to fix the plane while you're flying it, even if you are a disruptor. And in fact, that's the best way to continue to be a disruptor and to to create that future-proofing to be able to do that and do that successfully, which takes the kind of things that we've talked about, you know, a, a particular type of leadership, embracing the negative feedback, you know, being resilient and, and being very clear, though, what your bedrock values are. So it kind of all builds to this, I think, really, I think, profound point about the world we're living in at the moment and how the world of business is working. Totally. And the reality is there's quite a lot of learnings and a lot of things you have to think about. But I think the truth is to build a successful business or be a leader in an established business. These are all, and I use my phrase again, non-negotiables. Yeah, these aren't kind of nice to have. These are essential for success in the world of business today. And I think we've got to update because of course, some of the things that were successful that maybe we learned a long time ago, given the current circumstances, don't really work the same. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you here Claire, and to be talking about this, kind of talking to the people who are on the cutting edge and and are doing the disrupting and being entrepreneurs, because I think that's really helpful for us to understand what it takes to be a successful leader right now out there in the world of work. Yeah. And I think one thing we know for sure, change will constantly happen. We, you know, that's not going away. So I think leaders have to be agile and they have to be okay with embracing the I think tough things and owning up to dealing with those tough things and being okay to be vulnerable and all of that the stuff when we think about authenticity so I would just encourage and urge people that are leaders or want to be leaders or build their own business 
really learning to be okay with failure and vulnerability and all those words that you often hear, you know, even in leadership textbooks, but being okay and comfortable with practicing them. This is brilliant. And again, I'm so happy to have you here and that you've been able to and willing to share this with, with our audiences, those interested in becoming better leaders that were starting to lead. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you've got a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the LBS Leadership Podcast. You can discover more original thinking on leadershipatlondon.edu slash LBS hyphen leadership. Mm-hmm.